This summer, we get to set down our fear and anxiety and open up to travel and gathering and hugging again. So I know that you and I are going to be spending time outside and getting back to all the activities that make us better versions of ourselves. That's why I've put together a new podcast series for you called Your Upgraded Summer. These are top 10 all-time Bulletproof Radio episodes edited for you in a new way to be only 30 minutes so they work for you when you're spending your time outside. You're going to learn how to improve your nutrition, your sleep, your brain, your gut, your hormones, your immune system, and your energy. And these are the things that people most wanted to hear, the most popular topics. Listen to one, listen to a handful, listen to all 10, but know that you'll be joining millions of people who enjoyed this content the most and asked for more. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. You may have noticed in my continuous evolution of becoming great at foreshadowing that we might talk about sleep and circadian biology in today's episode. I'm really happy to have a friend and former uh, guest of Bulletproof Radio back on the show. I'm talking about none other than Satin Panda. PhD, who's a leading expert in circadian rhythm and a professor at the Salk Institute in San Diego. And his lab has been transformative because he's shown the profound impact of ambient light and daily eating fasting on preventing huge numbers of diseases like diabetes, depression, metabolic syndrome, heart disease, cancer, and stuff like that. He's also come up with this concept of time-restricted eating and it's very related to intermittent fasting, but he says that people who eat everything within an eight to 12 hour period can boost their circadian rhythm and maybe even reduce chronic diseases. Dr. Panda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. That was a really nice uh, introduction and <laughs> I'm really flattered that uh, you are such a big fan of circadian rhythm. Why are we finding all these changes just in the period of time of your work? Like, like what happens to make us become more aware and, and to, to crack the code, given that's the title of your book. In the last 20 years, the key discoveries uh, can be summarized into three major things. One is people discovered that just like our brain has a clock, almost every organ has its own clock. And that completely transformed how we think about circadian clocks. Second one was uh, we also figured out that blue light is a strong um, isn't in sunlight that uh, resets our clock or uh, having exposure to blue light at night can disrupt the clock. And the, the, the third major discovery was uh, how foot timing affects our clock. So these three um, really transformed how we think about health because if you think about now what circadian rhythm field is doing, this is the only field that's actually studying what is health? Because all other fields of biomedical research study what is disease. You mentioned the liver uh, quite a lot in there. And uh, it, it's funny, people oftentimes don't associate circadian things and sleep with what the liver is doing. Tell me more about why you brought that up. Well, liver is the, if you think about uh, liver is the one of the largest solid organ that is very important for metabolism. So it uh, produces fuel for almost every part of our body, including brain. It also breaks down a lot of uh, uh, xenobiotics or unwanted molecules that we ingest. 
So for example, if we think about um, fasting, then liver is the major place where we should, our liver produces some ketone bodies towards the end of our 14, 16, or 18 hours of fasting. And that ketone body is transported to our heart and brain for better function. So in that way, liver plays a huge role in fueling our brain yeah. and keeping us smart. It really, uh, it really matters so much. Uh, one of the studies that uh, I was really pleased to see uh, that came out of UC San Diego uh, was uh, Dr. Kinane's research that showed the amount of caffeine in two small cups of coffee doubled ketone production. So like, let's see, I, I just uh, slept all night, which is a fasting window unless you sleep eat. <laughs> and, uh, and then all of a sudden you wake up and you want to get some more of those ketones that will happen if you skip breakfast. But if you have black coffee, you're going to have more ketones than if you didn't, according to that study. If you look at traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, <laughs> um, all these uh, Eastern systems of healing, a lot of them are heavily focused on liver and kidneys. Uh, and of course, they care about the brain, but it seems like we're now using circadian biology to rediscover things that maybe we knew a thousand years ago. Do you agree with that? Well, the thing is, when it comes to health and wellness, anything that we can think of has already been tried in human history because you know humans have been trying uh, by trial and error and many other methods to figure out what is the best way to live a healthy, long life. So when I interviewed all the people in Game Changers, uh, I ended up having some, some sort of weird thoughts on that and saying, all right, number one data point that came out was food. But certainly not everyone agrees on what to eat, but everyone agrees if I eat the wrong stuff, I can't show up. I'm not going to be a game changer if I eat garbage. So I think there is an algorithm for eating and the Bulletproof Diet's worked very well. And it's an algorithmic approach that says, look, you know, eat less of the stuff that makes you weak so you're less inflamed. You know, eat more of the stuff that gives you energy and more nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. So if you were to flip a coin and say, will I handle legumes? Uh, will I handle nightshades? Will I handle dairy? Well, I handle those things. It is more likely that since your mitochondria are the things that turn air and food into electrons at the end of the day, it's more likely that if you look at what your ancestors ate on that side, you'll get some hints as to where you might want to start when you're figuring out what's going to work for you. <laughs> Do you buy that line of reasoning? Uh, that is uh, inherited from our ancestors. But at the same time, if our ancestors went through famine or fasting or maybe too much food or a certain type of food, and that's imprinted in their genome or mitochondria genome, uh, then that is also a good sign that if we change our behavior, we'll also imprint our mitochondria or our genome in a very different way. And we can pass on that mitochondria or that epigenetic code to our, our <laughs> children. So in that way, it's a... It's, um, it's an interesting hypothesis. People always say that whatever your parents did, um, that is imprinted on you. And the flip side of that coin is, if you pick up some good habit, you'll also pass on those good habits to your children. And if you pick up some bad habits, that's also going to pass, up, pass on to your children. Well, let's talk a little bit more about circadian rhythms. Sleep came up very high yeah. on the things that high performers do uh, in Game Changers. And it led me to create uh, Law 19 in the book. And the title of Law 19 is Waking Up Early Does Not Make You a Good Person. <laughs> and 
the the subtext for that is there is no morality in waking up early or staying up late. There's a huge amount of power in finding out when you sleep best and building your life so you can sleep then. And the the point for that is is that one of the other laws is is what you do in the morning really does matter. So sort of the the miracle morning perspective from Hal Elrod, but that the definition of morning for an early riser is different than the definition of morning for a late riser and and that knowing when to sleep seems like an important thing to discover so you can show up all the way. Talk to me about what you've seen either in the lab or in in other readings, other research uh, around proper wake-up time, and is it the same for everyone? Well, your day actually begins when you go to bed the previous night because that determines uh, how long you'll sleep, how long you'll reset your brain, and then how fresh you wake up in the morning. So um, if somebody is going to, so one but rule of thumb is uh, most sleep researchers agree that an adult should be in bed for eight hours. I'm saying should be in bed for eight hours. So out of that, somebody may get six and a half to seven hours of sleep. So that means if someone wants to wake up at 6 a.m., then this person should aim to go to bed at 10 p.m. Where does eight hours really come from? And do you believe that having seen rat melanopsin sensors in labs and Petri dishes and all that? Like how much BS are we dealing with? Well, the epidemiology is right. Uh, the self-reported six and a half hour of sleep correlates very well with longevity or disease-free life. Uh, when it comes to eight hours, it's not eight hours of sleep. It's eight hours in bed. That's what I I always tell oh, people so that. it's what else you're doing in bed that makes you live longer. Okay, that changed the whole equation. <laughs> yeah, so when I say, I always tell people, aim for eight hours in bed. And we know these days when people go to bed, they're checking emails and doing other things. And then when they wake up, sometimes they wake up and then they're still tired. They check their email and other stuff before they get out of the bed. So that's that's what we say, that target eight hours in bed. Okay. <laughs> Eight hours in bed, no matter what you're doing. That that I, I might be able to get away with that. Do you have anything you've learned from all the work you've done, specifically with lighting or or food or anything else about reducing sleep latency, so people go to sleep faster when they want to in bed? What we are finding, people who do time restricted eating, and particularly if they stop eating two to three hours before bedtime, uh, that helps. Second. Yep. Uh, reducing exposure to blue light for two to three hours before going to bed. Yeah. That also helps. Um, some people, uh, their core body temperature or body temperature doesn't fall well at nighttime. And to have a good night's sleep, we need to have a good drop in core body temperature. So people can take a shower and that actually helps to drop the body temperature. They can go to sleep. A, a cool shower. Yeah. Uh, some people like a warm shower, some like a cold shower. But the bottom line is whatever shower you take, your blood circulation will draw towards your skin away from the core. And that helps to cool down your body. And then the last one is uh, your right to darkness because we have lost our right to darkness. There is so much yes. light everywhere. Um, it's really sometimes it's mind-boggling how we have lost our right to darkness. Even in a modern house uh, with the best architecture without a um, good, um, um, I mean, blackout shades. Yeah, good um, insulation and good uh, dark out curtains. Uh, it's almost impossible to get darkness. Plus, there are all these indicators and all these lights on your 
phones on your uh, appliances tv etc so that keep us very jazzed up and in fact there is a study that, that just came out showing that even one lux of light which is equivalent to even uh, bright moonlight <laughs> on full moon day full moon night uh, having that one lux of light in some bedroom for some people can disrupt their sleep and so that's why it's very important to have right to darkness if you cannot have darkness then maybe um a pair of um, eye sets or a sleeping mask will help what do you do at home for for sleep with your lighting well we don't have any light that's more than that produces more than 40 watt of light okay uh, so these are all dim and if we need lighting then we we have spot lighting or work lighting for example table lamps that illuminates the work area but not your eyes not your face um and then all of my computers and uh our smartphones they already have night shift or night light feature so they switch to orange color or dim down around 8:30 or 9 o'clock i i want to ask about uh more of your work uh, i think that informed the circadian code your book you talk about a single gene that controls central timing system in the body and that pair of genes that keep eating and sleep in sync can you walk me through those genes and what they are yeah so well there are at least now a dozen genes that uh, yeah. form this circadian uh, rhythms and one of the, the actually the name of one of the genes itself is clock <laughs> <laughs> and, and this gene pairs up with another gene called bmal so this clock and bmal they uh, turn on other sets of genes uh, which are also called period cryptochrome reverb and few other genes and these genes turn on and it's almost like a you can think of uh, it's like a ice maker in your freezer uh, when the ice maker starts making ice yes for next few hours it will make ice until it reaches a level where it uh, touches the sensor in the ice maker so the ice making stops right so similarly clock and bmal will drive this genes to some extent and then they will stop because the this protein levels will build up and will say tell clock and bmal that that's enough uh, let's stop now and then the ice will melt Uh, or in this case this protein level will go down so this thing happens in every 24 hours uh, there will be build up of this ice or this proteins um, and then for the next 12 hours they will go down and so that seems to work almost in every cell um, every brain cell every skin cell every stomach cell every cell has the same circadian clock but what is interesting is to so then the question is what is the function of circadian clock uh, what is it really doing um so what what we think is clocks do a few things one is it anticipates events so for example before we wake up clocks in our brain and body work together to build up a day hormone in this case cortisol and warm up your body make uh, your heart beat slightly faster breathing becomes faster so that when you wake up you're actually full of energy so that's why having a good circadian clock and good night sleep makes you more alert and energetic when you wake up because your body can anticipate when you're going to wake up so similarly it anticipates when you're going to have breakfast so as soon as you have your breakfast 
your gut microbiome, your gut enzymes, and everything is working in sync to digest that food very well. So one is anticipation, and then the second one is to separate incompatible process so that you don't feel hungry in the middle of the night because feeling hungry and sleeping are not compatible. You cannot eat while you are sleeping. That's a very bad combination. Mm -hmm. So similarly, a body cannot um, make fat and break fat at the same time. A body cannot make cholesterol and break cholesterol at the same time. So having these things to be done at different time actually improves uh, productivity of our body. When women are pregnant, they're much more likely to wake up between three and five in the morning. And a lot of people who aren't pregnant, uh, men and women, uh, have this problem. They wake up and they can't go back to sleep. And their their mind is racing and things like that. And what is happening in many of these cases is their blood sugar crash. They didn't have enough blood sugar to basically run the glymphatic system and to sleep. So the body said, oh, I know how to make sugar. Well, let's secrete some cortisol, maybe a little adrenaline because those raise blood sugar. Therefore, now I have enough fuel for the brain. Unfortunately, cortisol and adrenaline wake you up at three to five and you can't go back to sleep. So the, the hack for that was I found kind of two different groups. Maybe it's a gene. I don't have the genetic testing to tell you what it is, but one group of people, they do some collagen protein, high in glycine uh, and low in the stimulating amino acids that raise orexin the same way modafinil does. Uh, some of that uh, with some ketogenic things, dare I say brain octane, uh, which raises ketones, they have enough energy that they sleep through the night. And then the other half of people, they take a teaspoon or two of raw honey, and I found a study that showed it raised liver glycogen 22% more than cooked honey or other forms of sugar, and liver glycogen uh, can fuel the brain effectively versus muscle glycogen. So I'm like, try it out. If you're having this problem, a little bit of this before sleep, can stop you from waking up because of the blood sugar stabilizing effect of, of honey, not in hot tea, because then it's cooked honey, but raw honey. Um, any things, those are both eating before bed. They're small <laughs> amounts. We're, we're talking, you know, five, 10 grams. Uh, is there some lower limit of food like that that's not going to break my circadian rhythm? Because I, I don't want to break my circadian <laughs> rhythm, but I want to sleep all night. Like, what do you, what do you do for that case? Well, we haven't uh, done anything like that because it's a, it's a moving target. It's, uh, people will say, how much is small enough? Um, the reason why that raw honey or whatever you're eating is going to your liver and is getting stored is because the whole system wakes up. Yeah. Uh, so we haven't done any research in that area, but what we have seen is people who do time-restricted eating, they do sleep very well. Maybe they normalize the way their body learns how much glycogen to store. One has a very strong circadian rhythm where we we go through a very um, regular habit of when we stop eating, then our body will learn how much stored glycogen the body needs. Maybe that's what is happening because we see that people who do time-restricted eating, uh, they always report that they sleep better, particularly this waking up at three, three o'clock. I used to wake up at three o'clock for an hour or two. And then I thought that that was normal because that was so common. But then quickly I realized that what is common is not normal because you need that continuous restorative sleep. Now it feels much better waking up after continuous sleep than waking up in the middle of the night and staying awake for one or two hours. All right, let's talk about astronauts. Hmm. Okay, 
they seem like they're going to have the worst garbage circadian rhythm of any humans on earth because it's always noisy in spaceships and space stations. The lighting is junk light, pretty much the definition. There is no sunlight. Uh, and if there is, it's through heavily shielded lead filtered windows and things like that. Uh, and they're on weird sleep schedules and probably gravity affects circadian rhythm too that we haven't figured out yet. Uh, what are we going to do to fix the circadian rhythm of astronauts? Like put on your science fiction hat and give yourself a $10 billion budget. What would you do? What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Well, the first thing is uh, the circadian lighting. And in fact, yeah. the International Space Station got new circadian lighting a uh, couple of years ago. Uh, so the lighting will kind of simulate as close as possible to daylight for 10, 12 hours and then switch to orange or red light at night. So we'll see whether that helps astronauts. Long-term space flight is always a big problem. Like how are we going to sustain uh, that long-term space flight? And this is where maybe time-restricted eating will also help because um, we know that uh, astronauts may get better sleep if they are on time-restricted eating combined with circadian lighting. And um, maybe we'll also see whether the astronauts can go through slight caloric restriction because yeah. calorie restriction or reducing calories even with time-restricted eating will naturally boost their ketone bodies and that will help to keep their brain sharp because we don't want them to be dumb or we don't want them to be too tired. So finding that sweet spot where they can, their body can generate enough ketone bodies to keep their brain working. And during fasting, they can also lower their body, core body temperature. And this, this will be a, this will be a long-term study to figure out how to reduce or maintain metabolism with a modest range that will reduce demand on oxygen, reduce demand on water, reduce demand on how much recycling they have to do at the same time, stay at peak performance. And I don't see that uh, the lifestyle that we have on Earth, eat whenever we want and eat too much food or get exposed to junk lighting, all of these things will help them. So I think that may be the case. That may be the exact, the ideal situation where we can figure out the optimum circadian code to keep astronauts fully active and fully productive for a very long time without compromising their health span, lifespan. You mentioned something important about caloric restriction. We know that 
eating too much of anything is bad. I mean, eating too much protein is bad. Eating too many carbs is bad. And probably eating too much, but certainly of the wrong kinds of fats, bad. And eating too much fat that's high calories, so you're going too many calories, that's also bad. Uh, what is your take on longer fasts? Maybe even going to up to three or four days where you're just having water. Or I'll do water and black coffee because, I mean, come on. Um, but, uh, uh, during that, uh, during that time, what does that can do to my circadian rhythm? Is it advisable? How does that line up with the circadian code? Well, the circadian rhythm still continues with a longer fast. Um, okay. and, um, it actually goes through a longer rejuvenation. Maybe, okay. um, we haven't looked at longer fast in animals because animals don't like this very long fast, uh, water only fast for two to three days. And in humans, we know there are a lot of studies from other groups showing that longer fast are very good in reversing or managing many chronic disease. And um, we know that longer fast will activate autophagy pathway to much higher levels, so that will help. Longer fast might also increase your ketone body production, and that also helps. So all the indications are Yes, longer fast, if you can do, are beneficial for the body. And it's not going to disturb the circadian clock because the circadian clock is an internal timekeeping mechanism that continues even without calorie. You're, you finished a 48-hour fast. Do you, do you finish it with breakfast or finish it with dinner? Well, when you finish a 48 or 72 or multi-day fast, um, breaking the fast is not easy because your body has forgotten food, you don't have that appetite for a big meal. Um, so usually you break it with a small meal. Well, is there anything else that you would like hundreds of thousands of listeners to know about their circadian biology, about your work? I mean, you, you've, you've done so much, but you know, you've got a big microphone right now, like help people with some some stuff you know. Well, the thing is, last uh, couple of years, a um, few things that have come out that are very reassuring and essentially telling that uh, timing makes healthy food junk. And the bottom line is this. Uh, last year, there was a study that came out from Joe Takahashi's lab, who is considered a really a leader in the circadian rhythm field because he discovered the gene clock. What he found was we know that caloric restriction is beneficial, but most caloric restriction studies in mice and larger animals are done in a way that the mice are given a chunk of food, which is less than what they should be eating. And this chunk of food is given usually in the afternoon or evening. Yes. <laughs> and mice eat that food within three to four hours every single day. So essentially all caloric restriction studies done in rodents are mixture of caloric restriction and time restriction. If you eat at the wrong time, then you may not see sufficient benefit of caloric restriction. Uh, there is another one from ketogenic diet in mouse. Um, you know, people think that uh, ketogenic diet will increase lifespan. So there are two studies done that came out last year. And in both studies, mice were given ketogenic diet ad libitum whenever they can eat. Or in another study, in one study, actually, the ketogenic diet was given once a day. So that means they were self-imposing time-restricted eating. And only when ketogenic diet was given once a day 
and they were eating all this food within 10 to 12 hours, those mice only showed some benefit of ketogenic diet. These mice lived slightly longer and they had better health outcomes. But when the ketogenic diet was given ad libitum, so mice can eat whenever they want, those mice actually uh, had worse health outcome compared to even mice that are eating normal diet, standard diet. Wow. So this is, again, another case where a ketogenic diet, which seems to have a lot of benefit, has to be combined with time restriction. Yeah, you, you've got to do it right. If we think about, say, mouse and rat study versus human studies, it means human studies are worse because yeah. we don't have control over genetics or genotypes, and then we cannot keep people inside indoor and then feed them at the right time. Oh, I thought that's what uh, school so every, was for. Yeah, so every study has its own <laughs> strengths and limitations. The nice thing about the mouse and rat study, whatever we do, is we can be completely transparent about which particular diet source we used. Yeah. We can even put the catalog number so we know that these mice ate that particular diet from this supplier, and then the supplier has all the ingredients, whether it mm. was artificial, natural, and what is the source. So in that way, we know um, in very detail what kind of food these mice ate every single yeah. day. So those are the kind of stuff we cannot do in human because mm -hmm. we cannot keep track about the uh, life history. Got it. So, so the, I think there's great data and knowledge in them. But if you take one study, like I'm pretty sure they didn't account for the cycle of the moon and all these other things that no one <laughs> thought might matter, but it might. So yeah, yeah, uh, beautiful. Uh, Sachin Panda, uh, uh, your work is truly groundbreaking on uh, circadian biology. I I will never forget standing there in your lab and looking at you know retinal cells from a mouse <laughs> on a high powered microscope. And grateful that you've come on the show and that you wrote the circadian. Uh, the skating code, and I've got a final question for you. Yeah. How long are you going to live? Oh, how long I'm going to live? Actually, I don't want to live too long because you know I'll lose many of my friends. And <laughs> so even if you're, even if you felt like you do now, yeah. you, know, you have your energy, your your body, your mind. You know, you're you're not in a walker. You you know your name. You don't put your your, your keys in the refrigerator. All those all those things. Still, not too long. <laughs> yeah, I I really don't want to put a number there because uh, one thing is. We still know that our genetics play a big role in longevity, and that's something that uh, we don't know. In my lifetime, I don't think we can change by CRISPR or any other technology um, hundreds or thousands of genes to change my lifespan. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your work. If you like Sachin Panda's uh, knowledge, you got to read The Circadian Code. And also, you should get My Circadian Clock. And uh, Sachin, what's the name of the other app you mentioned, the Lux app? Oh, My Lux Recorder. No, I, I have a $10,000 light sensor um, yeah. that's part of the TrueDark uh, company's research and all. But it's too it, it's too much of a pain to walk around with it and all, so I never do, and, and it's it's at their headquarters yeah. and all. So having it on my phone, you just made my day. Uh, Sachin, thanks again, man. Thank you. A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products.
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.